This is Father Aaron with another podcast. Last week, Holy Mother Church gave us for our consideration the parable of the sower, and each of us were characterized as good or bad soil for the seed of God, for the gift of faith in holy baptism. The message of that parable was to allow ourselves to be open to God's grace, which, like a nursery worker, gently prunes and cares for us as we flourish and bear spiritual fruit. But the parable left out one element which our Lord addresses in the passage we are given today. In the parable of this chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, the sower has already gone out to sow in his good field, and the plants had begun to flourish. Yet in the night, when the attendants of his garden are sleeping, an enemy comes and plants alongside the good crop seeds of malice, weeds. It's a heartbreaking image, really. The good sower has done his work and those tiny seeds have begun to grow. But the work is now threatened, because some other crop has been planted to abuse the good soil. The weed we are speaking here is Lolium timolentum. It's ryegrass, or cockle, as it's called. It's a plant which, when fully grown, can appear similar to wheat. But unlike wheat, the grains of this weed play host to a fungus which can be dangerously poisonous to humans' consumption. It was a wickedly common practice in ancient Rome for competing farmers to sow seeds of cockle in opposing fields, so common, in fact, that it was outlawed in the empire, and the penalty for being found guilty was very severe. The farmhands of our parable are aware of the danger of this weed, and so they are quick to question their master if they should begin to go through and pick out the weeds of the field. But what does their master command? In this field, we will allow the wheat and the weeds to grow alongside, for now. It is not that the weeds are good, but removing them poses a risk to the wheat. Even if you are able to closely examine the plants and recognize the good from the bad, the roots of the weeds by now have interwoven with roots of the wheat, and pulling them up at this point will one by one root up the wheat with them, and much of the good crop will be lost. So instead, The master permits this enemy crop to grow until harvest time, when the whole field will be cut, and one by one the good and the bad fruit will be separated. The metaphor isn't hidden from us. 
The field is the world, and the plants are good and evil, good people and bad people, who continue side by side in life until the end. Then, when judgment comes, they will be separated. The good will enter paradise, and the bad will be thrown into fire. So since we understand the point of the parable, we will satisfy ourselves this morning by considering something else. The master's tactic of allowing the two plants to grow together. We live in a world filled with evil. And though all of us are guilty of our own personal sins, most of the great depravity of the world is not our doing. An enemy has done this, says the Lord. Make no mistake, our enemy, Satan, is alive and well in the world today and is sowing the seeds of his wickedness everywhere. There are, of course, threats that arise which require our attention. Surely, if the enemy in the parable came to burn the field, the master of the harvest would not stand idly by. But a vast majority of the evil we see in the world, the depravity of celebrity personalities, the constant bickering of politics, many of these evils should bear less significant impacts on our personal lives, and even less on our spiritual lives. What then is our response? The master of the parable chooses to let it be. Let them grow together, he says. The Greek term used here is aphete, from which we get the English word apathy. There is a certain level of indifference, holy indifference, that Christian must have toward our enemy's strategy in the world. Many of his tactics exist to distract us from the things of God. I tell people often in the confessional that at the end of things, Satan is not overly concerned with what sins we commit only that we sin. He is more prone to distract us from our desire for holiness little by little than actually tempt us with particular sins. Only when one sin seems to have a certain charm in us does he try to tempt us with it again and again. But our day-to-day sins, the hundreds of little evils we do all day long, those are his work of distracting us from the things of God. Avoiding them requires us to be apathetic to his evil motives, and more firmly convicted in our desire to be holy. We have to put blinders on and avoid seeing anything that will remove us from the narrow path. And God, our harvest master, is aware of this tactic of the enemy, but he is not amused by it. Instead, he permits these evil motives to persist in the world, permitting them, not causing them. He is patient with the evil in his creation, because he will not risk ruining us by removing it. Another translation for this line is suffering. Evil has a place in God's divine plan. It serves to chasten the good and test their steadfastness. This long-suffering of ours emboldens our desire for good, for God, and reminds us that our earthly light is not the point. It's not the point of our existence. Our Lord's parable also sheds light on the tragedy of evil within the church. We find Judas within the number of the twelve apostles, and yet we cannot doubt the foundations of the church because of Judas. Shall the entire priesthood be accounted unworthy because of an unworthy priest? The police force be suspected because of an officer's crime? Shall our parish be judged by the lukewarm faith of some of her members? No. The field of God, for a time, teems with good and bad alike. Our faith, our Christian joy, will suffer no loss because of it. At times we see the failings of others and it brings us anguish. 
Reading the headlines this past week as once again our diocese is raked through the mud for the crimes of a priest naturally brings me frustration, and I'm sure it does you. But how am I meant to respond? The master of the harvest has permitted this bad crop for a time. Shall I do otherwise? The poisonous tares of Satan have been sown in the field of the church, but it is God's field, not mine. And he has chosen to allow them for a time, for my own sanctification and for yours. We cannot excuse the evil of others, but we should not begrudge them their short-lived earthly happiness. Instead, we must imitate our Lord. Consider the words of the, of the first reading. You show might when the perfection of your power is disbelieved, and in those who know you, you rebuke temerity. But though you are the master of might, you judge with clemency, and with much lenience you govern us. There is no excuse for the crimes of priests, or police officers, or fathers, or friends, or enemies. No excuse. There is no excuse for our own wickedness, for the snares of Satan's seed which course through our veins and threaten the harvest of our soul. But thanks be to God that he is merciful, and has shown mercy upon all of us. With much leniency he governs us, and for a time permits us to waste away our days with evil, so that we may have time enough to repent and return to him with our whole heart. My dear Christians, do not be distracted by our enemy's plots. Do not let the crimes of others distract you from the holiness of God, which has been bestowed on his church. Allow the Father's kindness toward us to inspire a kindness in our hearts toward the wayward members of our parish, our families, our church, our country, Fortify yourself with charity and patience. These two virtues are so much needed in today's world. And if we can bring charity and patience into our hearts, then we are well on the way to living true Christian lives. May Almighty God give us this grace. Amen.